Good morning. Today is a very auspicious day. Chaf Av is the Chaf Av is the Yartite of the father of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak Schneerson. And so we're going to say a chaim for him, and we'll talk a little about him. There's a whole uh, entourage of people that uh, they charter a plane. And they go all together to Kazakhstan, where he's buried. There's people there now that are spending the whole, the whole day there. And uh, I'm sure they're having us all in mind. There's a contingency that comes goes from, from Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huge group. They, they, a lot of they facilitate it. Facilitate it. Chaim. Yeah. Is the rabbi the only child? No. What was his father? I'm not sure. So there's so much to talk about, about the Rebbe's father, because he had a very, um, he lived in a, in a, he lived in a very serious time in history. He started off in, in Tsarist Russia, and then they had the revolution with communist Russia, and he was eventually um, imprisoned. And, and from prison, he was put into um, house arrest in a, in a far-off town in, near Kazakhstan. I think the city was called, the, area, the village or whatever was called Chile. Not Chile as in the country Chile, but in the, as in Chile. It was called, that's what it was called. And after he was released, um, he settled for a short time in the town, the closest Jewish community, which was in Amata in Kazakhstan. And that is where he, he passed away, and that is where he was buried. And he uh, suffered a lot in that end of the, in the end of his life from being from from being imprisoned there. And in general, he lived his whole life with a very a very um, serious sacrifice, literally um, on the borderline being arrested any day. And they say about him, um, they say similar about the Rebbe that he he was he was. A very nice and kind person. He was a big Rav. And being a Rav then was a very huge position, especially in this town, Yekaterinoslav, where he was Rav. Um, Dnepr Petrovsk was then a very affluent town. There was many different people there. There was many groups. There was the Chabad, there was not Chabad, there was uh, the Litvish, there was everyone. And there were many people that didn't want, the, when, when their previous Rav passed away, there was a big controversy of who's going to be the next Rav. Because the Rav in the t- and then was a huge position, even government-wise. Um, and uh, and they, many people did not want a Chabad Rav and it was a big back and forth and eventually he became the Rav and obviously he was uh, suitable he, was, uh, he fit the, the position and, um, and he was well liked by everyone and not only by everyone within the firm world within the Chabad and Achabad but he was well liked even by those that were involved with the KGB they had masters people that, that their, their whole purpose and job was to be in the town and inform on any um, things that were going on which were against the government, against communism. And there, there were people, there, there's a story just to bring it out, first of all, just the, the Rebbe didn't talk very often about his personal life in public. But there was one time where the Rebbe was being threatened, I think, by someone and the Rebbe by a public for a talk said that when I was young, I grew up in a town where my father, the Rebbe said this, where my father was the Rav. 
and and um, because he was the Rav in communist Russia, so he was. I, the Rebbe said, I myself, as a young as a young uh, boy, a young I don't know what age, was brought into interrogation, was brought into being questioned, as being a son of the Rav, trying to obviously um, accuse his father of doing something against the government. And the Rebbe said, if I wasn't scared of them. I'm not scared of whoever it was then that was uh, doing something uh, to, to want to harm the Rebbe. But um, the, I mean, this is the, the life the Rebbe grew up in, the house he grew up in. And it was, it was, he was being obviously threatened every day by different uh, people. And they, were, they say about him that he was so, such a kind person that he was liked, besides for his position as being Rebbe, he was well liked by the people, that even the people that, were, that their job was to inform the government on him, they were the ones telling him that the government's going to come tonight to your house, go sleep in another place tonight. Literally. They would come to him the day of and say, you better not sleep in your house tonight. They're going to come looking for you. And it happened. They came looking for him and he wasn't there. And it was they themselves that came. And there's a story that I just, uh, that I just saw. That there was a, a woman showed up at his house um, uh, a le- uh, in the middle of the night and said, I'm not telling you where I'm from, but I'm telling you that I have a son that uh, has a position in the government and he's, and he's married, and I want him to have a Jewish marriage. He did not agree to, because of his involvement in the government, and then there was a, it was a prohibition in the government, it was a, it was a crime to hold a ceremony of 10 Jews to officiate a, a religious wedding, any religious ceremony. So um, he said, that she, she told him that I convinced my son and daughter-in-law to, um, to come, and they agreed that they'll do it in private, in, in your house, in the middle of the night, they'll do the wedding, with the, the minimal amount of people, as long as no one knows about it. And here it's the middle of the night, and he has to now go and find... She, she said, I'm letting you know, giving you a heads up that they're on their way. So he has to go now and find 10 people, um, and 10 people that... Of these 10 people, none of them are going to go and inform the government. They're risking their lives. Right. They're, they're risking their lives, and he has to make sure that none of them are going to go and inform the government. What? Chile. Yeah. Different Chile. What? <laughs> So, um, yeah, he passed away in the 40s. So, he, um, so the, what happened was, the, the couple finally came, and he had to f- pull together him, and he went around town finding people, that whoever he can find in the middle of the night, and he couldn't uh, alert anyone that was on watch to make sure nothing's going on, and he was up to nine people. Who does, who's the one more person he's going to get? So he went out to the person in town that his whole job was to be the watchman, to be the guard, to make sure nothing's going on. He was a Jewish. He was Jewish, like many other people. And he went over to him and asked him to be the 10th person. The guy looked at him, me? And he said, yeah. He came in. They closed all the curtains. And he, um, and he was the 10th person. At the end, everyone walked out. And two people stayed behind. And there was uh, this guy and another person. And they both pulled out their cards, saying that we're officially employed by the government to go and inform on people. And they said, but uh, only because we, we, we like you as a friend, we're not going to say anything about what happened here. That's the, that's the type of relationship he had with the people in the town. And um, it was... But eventually, he was taken into, into prison. And being in prison, we know that he... I mean, he was a genius of his own right. He got smicha by Reb Chaim. Um, uh, the Reb Rashab wanted him to go get smicha by other people, not to, not to Chabad. He was, uh, and there's a bit... Reb Chaim Briska. He got smicha by, uh, I think not only by him, by another big uh, god all that time. I forgot his name. But he, he was a very, he was a goyim. He was a goyim not only in, in, in Chaim. Reb Chaim gave him a hard time, the way the story goes. Reb Chaim gave him a hard time. 
And because knowing that he was a Schneerson, he's not going to let him go easy. And, uh, um, and the story goes that he asked him a question. There's also about the halacha, the famous uh, about a sukkah. I'll say very short, just uh, for a divrei Torah. Then we'll see another story or two. Then we'll finish. Um, he, the story goes that he, um, he called him in and he said that, I have to remember correctly the details, but uh, he was sitting there and part of becoming a rav was uh, being shimush, where he had to sit there and listen to people coming as shilas. So he was sitting by Rav Chaim and uh, um, someone came in to ask a shayla. And the shayla was about something that had to do with the with, with Eruv. That they were, that they didn't make an Eruv Tavshilin or something. And it was, it was Sukkot. And they didn't make an Eruv Tavshilin. It was already Yom Tev. And, uh, and, and, and people came to ask him, Shayla, what are they supposed to do? So apparently it was a group of people that lived in like a complex or something. They were all using, they were all living, using the same sukkah or something. So Reb Chaim turned to Reb Levi Yitzchak, Reb's father, and said, answer the Shayla. So he answered like, uh, as if without even thinking, he said, the sukkah alein is ma'ariv. The sukkah itself uh, um, accomplishes being an heir for them or something. I forget exactly all the details. The Arab has a whole pilpul on it. But um, just... Uh, I forget the details. I forget exactly which one it was. Could be it was heir of chatseris. Yes, I forget the details. The Arab has a whole pilpul on it. I'm just saying from memory right now. Um, so this is just, uh, um, but yeah, he, he got, he was a very big guy in, 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 in Nigla, in, in Gemara, and, and also in Kabbalah. He was known to be a huge guy in Kabbalah. And he was in Kabbalah, as Derech in Kabbalah, we say from the Rebbe Roshab. The Rebbe Roshab taught him how to, uh, how to learn, how to learn Kabbalah. And um, he, his, when he was in prison, he obviously had nothing with him. His wife, Rebbe Zechana, the Rebbe's mother, um, was able to bring a few books. I think there was a Zoyar, maybe a Chumash, and like another book. And he would write his thoughts, his Chiddush Torah, from his, for while he was, in, while he was in, in prison there, he would write them on the margin of the page. And the story goes, he didn't even have ink. Rabbi Tzinchana, his wife, went around and found these different berries and uh, made ink out of them for him to be able to write on the sides of the page. And she carried these, bo- the, these books with her back to America till, till they, she brought them to, the, to her son, the Rebbe. And the whole travel on the way back, they say, when she was eventually able to come to America, she said that um, she was holding these books saying, all I want is that these books should be able to come before the, the ink fades. But the ink was different color, like pink and stuff from the different uh, berries that she used. And she... <clears throat> But she was, uh, obviously, there, the Rebbe was, uh, was uh, there was another story that uh, I wanted to share. But this is the type of person who was in the great mysterious Nevesha. Now, what's very interesting that I once uh, heard someone point out is that we always celebrate many of these people's, um, uh, like, we celebrate how they were released from prison, how they came out of Russia. Oh, I wanted to point, this is what I wanted to point out, that to, to the extent of, uh, of how much he was, um, the mysterious nefesh he had being in Russia, was his own son, the Rebbe, he did not attend the Rebbe's wedding. Because the Rebbe um, was engaged to the daughter of the Friedrich Rebbe, and the Friedrich Rebbe was sent out of Russia in Tafrish Pezayin. Tafrish Pezayin was 1927. And he was sent out of Russia after he was released to prison. They released him and said, but you can't be in Russia. And he had to go to, he was in Warsaw when the Rebbe got married. And the Rebbe went with him. But when the Rebbe went with him, his father, his parents, his father obviously wasn't allowed to leave Russia. 
So when they came to the Rebbe's wedding two years later, in 1929, the, the Rebbe's own parents were in at the wedding. They made their own celebration in, um, in, oh. in the... Oh. No, no, I don't know exactly where. Yeah, it was in Yakutrinusov then. Yeah, it was in Yakutrinusov. It was, because I know the story of the apartments where they were. Yeah, it was in Yakutrinusov. They made a celebration there. People came over to the Rebbe Yitzchak, to his house and everything. But he, um, but he wasn't at his, at his own son's wedding. That's how crazy it was. And um, the, uh, so, what was I? Uh, I'm losing my train of thought. So the yeah, so he 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 obviously um, was uh, oh this is what I wanted to point out. Someone once pointed out that the Rebbe Yitzchak is unique because for example every one of the Rebbe and we have a Yom Tiv, some holiday that celebrates them coming out of prison, right? We have Yitzchak Kislev, Yat Kislev, right? We have. Um, uh, we had recently we didn't say the last time we didn't say Tachnan when the uh, when the Friedrich Rebbe came out of prison um, but Rebbe Yitzchak was unique because I mean he wasn't a Rebbe but he had a huge position the Rebbe's father and he and uh, there's, no, there's no really cel- there's no real celebration he passed away from suffering literally the town right, right near where he was where he was in prison meaning it's kind of like and it's, it really goes overlooked all the, not only him, but all these chassidim that we don't even hear about their stories because they never made it out. They never made it out. They went to prison. And the way the story goes with the Friedrich Rebbe, he would send someone to go and be a malamed in the town or to build a mikvah to teach children. And, and knowing that it could be a matter of days, a matter of weeks, where they're gonna, the government's going to find other communists and take them into Siberia, take them somewhere, they'll never be seen again. And it happened. And then when they were taken, he sent another person. It was literally being sent to the... Right, exactly. That's one point. Exactly. That's one point. Once pointed out, it's a very interesting thought to think about. But we don't realize um, all these all, all these people that their stories that literally never made it out. They never made it out. They were suffered there. Some of them passed away in prison. But it just shows us how much how strong of a connection these people had to, to their Judaism. That they were ready to do anything just to make sure Judaism can continue in under communist Russia. And I think it, it empowers us. A lesson that we can take out from it, it empowers us. If these people in their circumstances were able to without even without question, without even thinking twice, it was a given. But yes, we're given. And we, we, we practice Yiddishkeit, no matter what's going on, and we promote it, and we help other people do it, like the wedding he held in his house, um, even under the communist watch. And there were people there that knew about it, and they, when communist revolution happened, we, we know that the Fidel Gerber came out in public and spoke about everyone educating their children Jewish, not giving in, and we, we know that that led to him being arrested. Um, and the Rebbe Yitzchak, we know the same thing. He went out in public and spoke, but again, like I said, he was very close friends with a lot of the, the informers in this town. But the point is, it empowers us to realize the opportunity we have, where we are, we're in a free country, we don't have any, uh, anyone <laughs> holding us back. We think we have people holding us back, and usually it's just voices inside of our head, our own complicating, our own complexity, that, uh, that, that, is, that is fake compared to what they, what they have. We, the issues they had compared to what we have is like a joke, right? And here, and we, and we think that we we have we have all these excuses and all these reasons, these complicating intellectual ideas sometimes that hold us back. 
These people was a given. There was there was the Judaism, Judaism that was passed down from generation to generation, thousands of years. And here we finally come to a free country, and everyone comes up with their new uh, revolutionary ideas that they think are. Yeah, and I think it, it, it empowers us. It empowers us to realize that no matter what circumstances we're in, we say about the esrig that the esrig is unique. Because it's hadar be'ilone, it it goes through all seasons. The esrig is unique out of all the, the because the esrig, most plants they grow in a certain season, and they are the tree is dead in the rest of the season, uh, and the other seasons. The esrig goes grows on the tree and it continues growing throughout all the seasons, and it shows a, a level a, a certain um, attribute of integrity, right, of emes, of being truthful, of really believing in what you're doing. No matter what, you, what happens, you stay the same. And it's, uh, this is what we see by many of the people that went through communist Russia that didn't make it out. And the one we know of here, of Levi Yitzchak, it's a very powerful story, even though it, doesn't, it ends very bitter. It doesn't end happy. But it's, uh, it, it shows us that no matter what's going on, we have the ability and the power to do whatever, whatever it takes to continue Judaism both in our own lives and in our family and not that the complicating um, outside forces uh, distract us, confuse us and, and uh, try, to, try to harm us spiritually. So L'chaim, I wish every one of us we should take the energy and power we get from the Rebbe, from the Rebbe's father and really be strong in everything that we do. L'chaim. Yeah, I'm going to be a